Hey, Rockheads. This is Music to Code by Track 12. Check this out. Oh, yeah. Just what you need to get in the zone when you write code. And get this. We just added a site license. Download it once, share it with everybody in your office. Check it out at musictocodeby.net. Net Rocks, episode 1306, with guest Els Putzes. Recorded Saturday, May 28th, 2016. Welcome back to Dotnet Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And we're still in Belgium. And liking it. Loving it, actually. <laughs> Having a good time. Having a great time here. I had a nice dinner last night at, what was the place called? Meat? M- yeah, <laughs> Meat. Meat. <laughs> name of the place was yeah. called Meat. Meat. Meatery or the something meatery. like Yeah, something so, like that. It was good. It was very good, and um, they're treating us really well here, Technorama. Yeah. We're having a lot of fun. Yep. Wish you were here. You should be here. You should be here. Next year, you better come. <laughs> All right. We have some business to take care of. First of all, it's Better Know Framework. Awesome. All right, dude, what do you got? I haven't cleared up the confusion about what Better Know Framework is in a long time, so I probably should. It started out as uh, me finding little pieces of the .NET Framework, you know, classes or whatever. Stuff that people didn't know about. And, I mean, just the other show, you pulled out a class I'd never heard of before. And that was one that was contributed. Right. And then I sort of got... I don't know, bored or came to the end of the line, sort of like, you know, of interesting things that were no, that were hidden. Yeah, the framework got more known. Yeah. And so I started looking around the internet for, for interesting or fun things or open source projects or, or APIs or whatever. So this one is just pure fun. Nice. If you go to 1306.pwop.me... This is a bunch of fake O'Reilly books. Oh, no. You got to see this too, else. Uh, You can't see, obviously, it's a radio show, but But I will try to to describe these fake O'Reilly books. You know, they have the animals on them. Yes. So this one is uh, the animals of sloth, and it's essential copying and pasting from Stack Overflow. (laughs) (laughs) You mean what all of us do? Yeah. Here's Here's an ostrich. And it's expert resume-driven development. Resume-driven development. That's pretty nice. funny. This one's a cat blaming the user. Pocket reference. <laughs> Next one's a frog. Uh, oh, and I forgot to read the things on the top. This is essential. Googling the error message. <laughs> and the, the message at the top is, the internet will make those bad words go away. It's kind of true, actually. Oh, it's so funny. 
And this next one is uh, Jar Jar Banks, and it's useless whiteboard interviews. <laughs> and I won't. I, that thing has a bad word in it. Yep, I can't say let's that. Let's move past uh, it. Move past that one. Uh, this one is a camel writing code that nobody else can read. The definitive guide. Nice. Does it run? Just leave it alone. <laughs> and this one is uh, a gorilla or an ape. Temporary workarounds. And the the line is, "Who are you kidding?" Nice. Yeah, that's not as funny as the other ones. Expert trying stuff until it works, and it's a puppy dog. Software can be chaotic, but we make it work. And then a, a rooster. Real world, rewriting your front end every six weeks. <laughs> <laughs> this time, you've definitely chosen the right libraries and build tools. And he, here's a, just a huge hog. Taking on needless dependencies. <laughs> Fragile development guide. Code written by some stranger on the internet is always perfect. And it's true. It's all true. They're funny. I, That's great, dude. They made me chuckle. So uh, I, I can't. Oh, I don't yeah, know. You I need to know it, learn it, or love it. But okay, love it anyway. Love it. Yeah, I think Jeff Dalton takes uh, the credit for showing me that one. Thanks, nice. Jeff. So that's what I got, Richard. I love who's, it. Who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show eleven twenty-five, which we did about a year ago with Seth Lochner when we were at the Nebraska Code Camp. We talked mm-hmm. about Docker there. And this comment comes from Todd, who says. Hooray for Docker! I've been using it for a little while, seven months or so, on a Linux VPS of mine in order to maintain the complete and separate and stable environments for a few services with myriad requirements. And it's absolutely wonderful once you get used to working with their command line utility. Which is not that a weird thing when you think no, about it, right? I mean, this is what PowerShell's about, and sure. we're getting all command line all across. Yep. The learning curve is shallow, too, which is a nice bonus. I'm also maintaining an automated build on Docker Hub triggered off by a GitHub repository. We are living in the future, my friends. And the perks are many. Remember, this is a year ago. Yeah. I'm only beginning to scratch the surface of the private networking amongst containers, but I'm already very excited at the possibilities. I wanted to bring up this nifty piece of software, which is called Docker Squash. Docker Squash? Docker Squash. Does Lino know about this? (laughs) (laughs) The squash player? Yeah. As Seth said, Docker is based on a layered file system and copy-on-write approach. If you're not careful, simple changes can begin to bloat the size of your images when your changes are committed, though this, of course, is not applicable in scenarios where your application's container is volatile and changes are made by bringing up completely new instances and cutting over, Mm. right? Which, you think about it, because containers can be created so quickly, you literally could make a change, spawn a new container, kill the old container, move the load. Like, bat, bat, bat. It's really a weird way to think. Yeah. Docker Squash lets you squash the layered image down to whichever layer you'd like, so you can make a brand new flat image out of your changes. So you mentioned you create your container with initial set of configurations, you add some stuff on top, you make more changes, make more changes, and it's just layering these on, hmm. and then Squash compiles them down to the base image again. Okay. Wow. All right. This is a Linux approach, and I'm sure the Windows approach is going to be a little bit different. So this is a fascinating topic, even more so now that it's coming to the Windows platform. I look forward to the day that Windows will have its own container equivalent for application. Or I'm going with the pipe dream currently being teased the day that Microsoft apps can run in Docker containers on Linux. That'll never happen. That'll never happen. <laughs> <laughs> He's not, I mean, a year ago when he wrote this, yeah. I mean, the running ASP.NET on Linux was still just kind of crazy talk. Yeah. And now it's closer than ever before. Right. Keep up with the awesome podcast. It's turned my boring commute into an enjoyable and educational experience that Great. I actually look forward to each day. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Todd, and uh, and thanks for the great comments. We're going to talk a little bit more Docker today. Mm -hmm. There's lots going on. It's kind of crazy. And uh, .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or via any of our social media because we publish every show to Google Plus and Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a mug. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Richard Campbell. Send us a tweet. We spackle our walls with him. Okay, now, uh, speaking of containers, Else Putsess is going to set us straight on what's uh, currently happening in Azure. With over 15 years of experience in the industry, Else Putsess has knowledge in Windows Server, Exchange Server, SharePoint, Azure, and Office 365. As a trainer, Else brings her real-world experience to the classroom. At U2U, she's responsible for the training material for all the IT Pro courses. Welcome, Else. Thank you. Nice to be here. I Great can't imagine that you're teaching containers yet, or are you? Well, we do have one course uh, really? now on Windows Server 2016 and a new feature, so it contains the containers as well. Now, Server 2016 is not out the door yet, right? What is it CTP5 now? Yeah, Technical Preview 5 just got mm. released last week. Wow, okay, so... Oh. But the container service was around, I think it was CTP3 was the first one yeah, where the container yeah, service the showed first up. One, yeah, and the 4 had uh, actually supported all of them and uh, all of the features were right. available there. So what do containers look like in Windows? What does this mean exactly? It's pretty much the same as in the Linux world. So mm -hmm. it's the same base, like you have an operating system. Windows in this case right. instead of Linux and on top of that operating system you will build a container and it uses the files in the underlying operating system so it doesn't have its own OS anymore okay. OS files or libraries everything is shared and all the containers that you build on top they will use that same set of operating system files so the containers tend to be much smaller than what regular virtual machines would be yes absolutely so that's one of the main differences they're a process right they're like every other process in the operating system no um yeah well even though they do have a little you know they call it a sandbox okay uh, that's where you make your changes mm -hmm. and then uh all the files that you do not change uh, are used from the host operating system so all right so speaking about an operating system process where does a container fit is do you have multiple containers inside a single process or do you, do, is it one-to-one? One-to-one. So every container is its own separate entity, yeah. let's say. Uh, but they're all on top of the same host operating sure. system. Sure. And that's what they share. Yeah. Well, but that's great. That's why you can spin them up so fast. They're basically yeah. just programs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It just takes a few seconds uh, to start the container. Now mm -hmm. you still have to put stuff into the container, right? Yeah. After that, you install your application or you know, whatever you want. They have a lot of applications that they support. On the MSDN, you can find the full list. Right. It's not just Microsoft stuff. Mm. Uh, you could install Apache inside a Windows container or mm. uh, MySQL or whatever. Lots of applications. It's interesting that it, it seems to be almost like a little CLR. You know how the CLR is a so, sort of a software process? Right. And uh, everything gets abstracted away. But, but it almost seems to me, though, that... a and I don't know this for sure, but it almost seems like you take a, a binary image of, of an app running in memory and save all the bits and then just boop, load it up so it has currently where, where you left off, like in a state, right? Is that, am I out of line there? Is that sort of what happens? Yeah, well, they're all based on, on images. 
So once you've built and installed your application inside a container, yeah. you can save that as a new container image, and then you use that to start up new containers. And when it starts up, what I'm saying is there doesn't seem to be a startup process. Like if you had a, no. a web server running, you don't need to start the web server. If you had a SQL server, which I don't know why you do that in a container, but if you had a SQL server, you wouldn't have to start up the SQL server. You wouldn't have to, like, it's in a state that's ready to run. Yeah, okay, like that, you mean. Yeah. yeah. So if I put IIS on the base OS... And then mm-hmm. I could create a container. Do I have access to iOS? IIS. Or IIS, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, do I have to install the web server in the container? Or could I have it installed in the base OS and automatically get a copy of it? Like the same way you're extending the operating system. Um, yes, but you will create your own container image for that. Right. So you have two base operating system images. Right. Windows Server Core and Nano Server. And, oh, okay. Provided by Microsoft. Mm. So these are the templates you work from. Yeah. So when you it's go to create a container. It's also the layered structure, like you said, with uh, Linux. Right. You know? So it's exactly the same. So you start from mm. the base OS container mm-hmm. image, and then you install IIS on top of that, okay. and then you create a new image. And then you can deploy those two. So you have two layers again, one with the base OS. Then the second one is going to be your IIS installation. Right. And then maybe a third one could be specific website files. Yeah. Uh, that could be another layer on Dot top of that. Framework, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Can also be installed. In now, there are two Windows OSs that I can use as the template. Nano Server, we should talk about. The other one is just regular Windows Server. Windows Server Core, yeah. Core. Yeah, the okay. core version. Yeah, so, yeah, so without yeah, the GUI. Yeah, that's going to be the recommended deployment for mm. all Windows servers mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. 2016. W- as, as it should be, yes. Yeah. And, yeah. But it's, there's always, the conversation around Docker has always been, there's no UI on your Docker images, so yeah. why would you install a GUI? Yeah. You know, it's you just yeah. install Core Edition. Yeah. And so Core is, regu- is regular Windows just with the GUI removed. Yes. Now, Nano is smaller. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, it's install base is about 500 megabytes, wow. something like that, so it's very small. When's the last time Windows was 500 megabytes? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. It's been a while. So what's been removed to make Nano so small? Almost everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I mean, the kernel's there. Is there a network stack? Because that yeah. would be useful. Yeah, no, that right. is there. That is there. Network I guess the real question is what will install onto, on top of Nano? Like, yeah. Well, uh. you can install IIS, but what they did is uh, the installation files are not there. Okay. Uh, so that's also why it is so small. If you want to install something in the Nano server, uh, on the ISO file, you have a bunch of packages yeah. for IIS, but a few others as well. Right. Uh, and so if you want IIS to be installed, you'll first have to copy those packages in your container, uh, the IIS package. Right. And then mm. you can start the installation of IIS inside the nano server image. I see. Okay. Uh, so you do, I mean, the nice thing is then you are adding the bits in. And when you yeah. do this with the container service, are you, is, do you build it as a manifest? Like you have a clear record of everything that's being installed and how to install it? Or is it just running Ins- regular install scripts? Yeah. It's, it's, you use an, for a nano server, you have to use an unattended file right. where you just say, okay, um, Install this package, install the language pack. Yeah. You do the installation with uh, the ISM. Right. That's the command line tool you use for the installation. And you use that with core as well. Yeah, you can use it there too. But the nice thing about this then is you you pretty much are forced to build a script to create your machine from scratch. Yes, absolutely. There is nothing there. Yes, absolutely. There's nothing there by default. So it's really up to you to put your stuff in. Yeah. And to, to add each one in. Yes. So. 
what hosts the container? Like, does this run on a rate just on a regular version of Windows Server? Yes. And how many? Can, but you can run a container on anything at this point. Like, can I can I run these containers on Windows Ten? Yes. Okay. You can. Well, at the moment, um, it is supported with the latest version, that latest update of Windows 10. What is it? Build 10, 5.6.5, I think. Something like that, yeah. I lose track of those numbers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, and then... Um, but they're talking about the big Redstone release, which is like the mid year release coming up the next couple of yeah, months. Yeah, they're, they're probably going to have native support for containers. Right. So now on Windows 10, I can create a virtual machine right. running Windows Server and then put the containers in the Windows Server. Okay. And, it, and it, this is where I get excited, this idea that we can develop from this, yeah, running absolutely. the containers yeah. on our regular workstations, and right. those are the same containers that would ultimately go to test and go to production as well. Yes. And, and without any changes, so you can just create one as a developer. Right. You know, one of the issues we see a lot is uh, a developer creates something. Yeah. They install an application, they test it, it works on their system, mm -hmm. and then it has to be installed by some IT pro. Mm. And then it doesn't work because some dependencies... Uh, some configuration difference. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. With, so with the containers, normally, we shouldn't have that because everything is done right. and stored inside the container. And uh, when can I push it to Azure? You can already. You can. Not, I think nano containers are not supported yet okay. at the moment, but the Windows Server core containers are. And then, um, yeah, it's... So the developer experience could be... Yeah, just like when you create a website in Visual Studio, you could essentially run it in a container when you're done, publish to Azure. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So if I'm, I mean, we're jumping ahead a little bit here because you've got to get the containers running on Win 10, which we can't necessarily do yet, right? Like today. No, yeah, I think they're going to, one of the up. next, yeah, yeah. Mm. It is uh, even on Windows Server, you know. Right. It's still there it's are the, still it's, a few. It's the, yeah, the, the CTP. <laughs> yeah. But that being said, interesting. That's I mean, where they're going, though. Yeah, and you're just thinking about this workflow. Of what the, right. I mean, uh, here's a question: Do I need to know this? How long before this is a wizard in Studio? Right. Right. That just says, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm building an ASP.NET site, and I'd like to build it in uh, in a window in a Windows container using Core." And that Studio will simply instantiate that basic template for you, and you'll start programming against that container on your machine. And then when you're happy with it, you fire it off to Azure. Yeah, but, but it begs the bigger question is, if I just have a website, you know, an Azure website? Right now, yeah. What's the benefit? Of running in Azure websites versus running in a container. A container. Where do, where does, at what point of complexity does the container make more sense? I think if you need to deploy it to multiple locations. Right. Yeah. Uh, because you can do your installation. You actually, as a developer, just care about your application. Mm. Install it in your container and then don't care about where it is going to be deployed later on. Mm. And when you're deploying it, are you actually making a copy of the container or the copy of the template that will generate the container? You create your container. Yeah. With your applications installed, then you have to create an image okay. of the mm. container, and it is the image that you can then, you know, you can export it so it can be installed on another host, where then new containers will be created based on your image. Okay. But these are two fundamentally different philosophies. One is, I'm going to let Azure worry about scaling everything. Right. I just want to publish a website. Yes. And if I want to move it to another server, I, you know, I Azure has a service for that. I don't even, I don't care where it's deployed. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, so. So this is just a different philosophy of developing for the cloud, isn't it? I mean, what, what's, that's where I want to tease out the differences between 
just letting Azure services do everything and, and using containers. So if we walk through like the .NET Rocks website, where we have Azure, an Azure website mm-hmm. talking to a, an Azure SQL instance for data. Yeah. Right? And if you wanted to, we haven't needed to scale it. I mean, nope. it's busy, but it's not that busy. Well, we've upgraded it as yeah. it got bigger. But it's always bigger. been one instance of, of the website. Yeah. Right? We haven't gone to multiple geographical locations. Nope. We haven't needed to run multiple instances, which, I mean, a lot of the what containers are good at can do this. But it's not saying that Azure websites couldn't do this, because it can. They can. They and can. they do. Yeah, absolutely. I'm they wondering can. if this makes more, containers make more sense as soon as the app is more than just the website. Yeah. Like, as soon as I have some back-end services that are independent of the website, like, you get into all these other pieces and you mm-hmm. want to separate them mm-hmm. and because upgrade of, them separately. Well, upgrade them separately and also scale them separately, right. right? You know, you might have a service that gets all the load, and that's what the bottleneck is. Right. You break that out, that service out, and, and but it, you can do that in Azure. You can. What I'm saying. Uh, well, in theory, you can, right? The the service fabric, we, we still are exploring exactly how we would run multiple instances of a given service. The, to do it on a, in a container basis, so now you're, you're sort of defining the can that that app needs to live yeah. in, right? Yeah, and I also think sometimes you need to make changes to like the underlying operating system, something you cannot really do with the Azure website. Right, so it comes down to control. And this is, yeah. this is what uh, we were teasing out uh, at uh, NDC London. Mm-hmm was there's these two philosophies. One is I want control over every bit that, you know, in the stack yep. right. that my code runs on. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't, I don't want to just, you know, w- you know, wishful thinking that Azure's going to do everything for me. Right. Or it doesn't do it the way you want doesn't it to. Yeah. Or, I want it, right. You know, all, yep. all of those kinds of things. Yep. And it, what does now... So when I create a VM in Hyper-V, because mm-hmm. it's its own OS and so forth, I mean, it gets an IP address. Maybe it's configured for DHCP, so it grabs it from my DHCP server, but it gets an IP address. Yes. And if I want two of them, I make two of them, and they each have an IP address. Yes. When you make containers, how does the networking work? Is it just basically the same thing? Yeah, pretty much. You will create... A Container networks, right. they call it today. Um, so, but uh, you have different options and different possibilities. So, right. um, you can have a transparent mode network, you know, which means that every container, like a VM, will be uh, connected to the switch, you know, right. to a network switch, and mm-hmm. has access to your public network. Right. So, like a VM, they will just get an IP address from a DHCP server in your environment. Like they're yeah. another machine. Yes. Mm. Okay. Or another possibility is that you use a NAT switch right, that yeah. you create in the container host. You define it. And then, uh, yeah, they all get some internal IP address, and it is the host. When they communicate outwards, they go out through the host. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And mm. then you have to create uh, port forwarding rules yes. where you define, okay, that request goes to that container, that request goes to that container. Exactly. And they just added uh, two more options. Now you have L2 bridge. Mm-hmm. Um, which can also be used. It's pretty much the same thing. All the containers are connected to a normal external switch. Right. Um, but communication between the containers on the same host will just stay inside the host. Like a name pipe call, super fast. Yeah. Right, and not having to jump through the same protocol requirements. Yes. And if they need to communicate with other hosts or other containers, then they it just uses yeah, the, the normal network the connection. Yeah. Okay. And then they also have a special mode, but that's only in uh, the Azure or in the Azure stack uh, that you can use that. Uh, where you have more, it's almost the same as the bridge. It's L2 tunnel. Right. Uh, and um, 
but you have more options like for monitoring. Uh, so you can see what is going in and out and you can implement security right. roles. And, well, now uh, you get to, when I think about building old school, large scale websites, it's like I had a front facing NIC that was connected through the firewall to the outside world. I had a back-facing NIC that connected to application servers, databases, all those sorts of things. And I had a management NIC that allowed me to have my management traffic completely separated from the workload so that I was always able to keep monitoring going even when things were really, really busy, right? Yep. And you set up separate mm -hmm. VLANs and so forth. Like Thinking through that process for, I can't imagine it's any different for containers than it was been for VMs. No, no, you it's not. You have to define yeah. all of these yeah. networks. You, you just have to define. set up the routing correctly, and they have different IP ranges, and you need to yes. define a virtual VLAN for it all. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I love the, the idea <laughs> of control. I just want to sort of present the reality that control comes with some overhead, right. right? That you need to understand some things to actually do that well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but it is exactly the same. You For every, in your container host, you just create all of the different networks that you want. Right. Oh. And you, you know, define them out like that. And one, of the, one set of them might be load balanced because, you know, I want three instances of the same service, each in a separate container. And on there, VLAN 1 is actually a round-robin load balanced address against a, a load balancer. But the back-end connections are not balanced at all. They're calling down to the same set of SQL servers, although those might be in containers that are load balanced because mm. <laughs> they allow for failover. And the monitoring next come up the other way. It's yeah. just pieces you need to keep right. track of. So yeah. one thing that I wasn't clear on, and I think I know the answer, but I just want to be crystal clear. The versions of the services and tools that you run inside a container, you know, SQL Server, IIS, whatever, are those the exact same binary services that you would run on the metal? Or do they have to be changed or tweaked or something? To exact run them in a container? No, they are the same as it's the... exactly the same. Yep. Yes, they are. Great. Huh? Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Richard, you know what time it is? Uh, must be that happy time again. Yeah. It's time to sail this ship into port and docker. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely done, Try sir. to contain your enthusiasm, uh, oh, please. <laughs> really? You got a whole bunch of these? Is I got a going? twofer. <laughs> a twofer. Hello. Well, I wouldn't want to squash your enthusiasm, oh, so oh. I will support your humor, sir. <laughs> That's bad. Mm -hmm. uh, it's actually time to give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, do you know Swift, Objective-C, and Java? Can you use them in tools like Xcode and Android Studio? If so, awesome. For everyone else, there's NativeScript, a cross-platform framework for building native iOS and Android apps using skills you already have, JavaScript or TypeScript, CSS, and a XAML-like XML markup. Build the mobile apps you've always wanted to build. Use the NativeScript CLI for free or use NativeScript inside of Visual Studio which requires a Telerik platform subscription, and that enables you to build iOS apps without the glowing Apple. Nice. Get started for free at nativescript.org. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Robert Westerlund. Hi, guys. Robert. Golf clap for you, sir. <laughs> Clappers for you, sir. Those Else things. like, what the hell's going <laughs> those on Those things here? are so obnoxious. <laughs> <laughs> And Robert just won the Telerik DevCraft collection. That's a big pile of awesome from Telerik. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. In every show, we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree 
to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club, but you got to sign up to win. And else, it's your turn. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, what would you buy? And how many euros is that, by the way? Yeah, 4,000, 3,500, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think a bit more than 4,000, though. Oh, 4,500. Yeah. Yeah, if only something there was a technology like that. that can answer this question. I'm pulling out XE.com. What would you buy? Oh, what would I buy? I don't know. I don't, is there anything that is technology. that expensive? Oh, well, yeah, there <laughs> Lots are of a few. Stuff. You can always I, find a way. I have a MacBook here that costs me about that much. 4,300 yeah. euros. You're right. The exchange rate has shifted. Yeah, so, yeah, 4,300 euros. Well, I'm interested in a Surface Book. Yeah. Got one right here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you can't buy them yet here. Are they still uh, not in Europe? That's crazy. Some places in Europe, yeah. but not in Belgium. Or not in Belgium. No. HoloLens? No. That, no. Uh, HoloLens, yeah. HoloLens, yeah. yeah. That, that was my first thing I thought about. Yeah. <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> not alone no? that one. I would think the service book more practical. I mean, there's only yeah, the dev sure. kit for, for HoloLens right now. But HoloLens, how much does it cost? Is there a price? HoloLens was 3000 for the, 3, oh, for the okay. dev kit. Yeah. yeah. So... Yeah, you could still get it. You couldn't get a Surface Book with what's left over, but... Uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. You'd be, cl- you'd be yeah. close. <laughs> My children would say HoloLens. HoloLens, yeah. 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 They, they saw would. the video with the Minecraft, <laughs> and they were like, They're are hot. you going to buy that? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, we'll so maybe if I have uh, yeah. $5,000, then I would. <laughs> okay. That's a good call. That is a good call. I'm thinking about what Azure websites don't do. I mean, right. things like writing to the disk. And now if I'm running... You can. And you I, can. Can you write to the disk? Sure, you can. In an Azure website? Yeah. Yeah, what is, I mean, there are restrictions on what you can do in Azure websites compared to running your own copy of IIS right. in the cloud, right? I mean, one of the reasons we resist, because we're coming from, on the, on the .NET Rocks, right, we have a VM that was you know, exported mm-hmm. up to Azure. We've been peeling things off of it over time, putting them in Azure websites and so on. And we know, and certainly the experience we've had, that the VM's not as stable as the Azure website is. Okay. The question will be, will the containers be more stable? Because they're kind of like VMs, right? They're kind of IaaS in a way. Yeah, maybe. But the main difference will be that they don't need as many resources. Right. They don't need to have the memory to load the entire operating system. Yes. Every container will just... It's just your application. Right. So, so you really in that only way, it, yeah, it's a bit more like the websites. Well, and... The other side of that is, and you could easily run two of them. Absolutely. So if one of them barfs, you, you're running the other. Right? So I just looked it up, and uh, it is possible to write on the file system, of course, but it's only within the root folder of your mm-hmm. app forward. So, I mean, if you want to do crazy things like reaching outside of <laughs> your protected space, yeah, writing to the disk somewhere, I mean... You really shouldn't be doing that anyway, You shouldn't anyway, be doing right? that anyway, but, you know, it's, you, you're right. You, I mean, we, we get back to, so what is the control we're losing when we use the Azure platform pieces right. versus if I build my own containers when I just have a copy of IIS and I can do whatever I want, right. you know, that I have those Yeah, containers is more in the line of the virtual machines if you yeah. want to compare in, the two. And in the line of that kind of control, right? I mean, think, yep. And we've talked about this in the past on the show that Linux people which is where this technology comes from, yeah. tend towards that very high level of control. Absolutely. Yeah. That's what they want. And Windows folks, not as much. But here's the thing. I, I think there are fewer of those full stack, all the way down, know all the bits, know how to swap them out, can recompile, can, can yep. ch- change the code. There are a lot fewer of those people out in the world than there are people who need to be productive 
writing software. In and that's where I wonder world. if this, the Windows container servers and all these things are ultimately going to manifest themselves as wizards in studio. Yeah. You know, that it's just, they, yeah, they, you'll yeah. just have a deployment option to a container. Or for that matter, how popular they will be in Azure. Right. Because of all the great platforms and services. Because you have so many have. other choices. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be an interesting balancing act. Yeah. It's easy to talk about putting a website in a container. And you just said this vaguely early in the first half of the show, but let's talk about this. Putting databases in a container? I mean, how yeah. good of an idea is that, actually? I, I, data is, needs to be permanent, yeah. doesn't it? I mean... Well, what is the permanency like? Like, if, if you put it... I don't know if you've done this yet, but you set up, like, a copy of SQL Server Express inside of a container. Where are you writing to the disk? Like, what happens to that? How is it still backed up? How reliable is it? Yeah, well, I just got that question after the session, and it was, uh, I think, for backup at the moment, they don't have anything special yet for right. containers. So, But since the container can be accessed like a virtual machine or like right. another host, your backup tool could just backup the application running inside. Yep. Uh. Can you save the state of the container at any time? See, it, it almost is counterintuitive because you like containers because they're cattle. Right. You like to be able to spin them up, spin them up, spin one up, spin it down, spin it up. But a database is like, don't make that go away. I don't make that go away. Yeah, yeah. That would be bad. Yeah, that's true. You know, what if the right source, like in large scale databases, typically the database itself is not in the machine that hosts SQL Server. Right. It's yep. on a LUN to a SAN of some kind. Yep. So right. maybe there's an exter external storage piece to that database. The database instances are, and I'm saying instances for a reason, you do this because you want a cluster of SQL servers yeah. working against a common data store and any of them could die and yeah. the data is safe. Yeah. I just haven't seen any evidence of that yet. No, but I think at the moment, even though they support applications like that, right. we it's are not, not there yet. No, plus um, at the moment there is no support for Active Directory. So a, oh container, yeah, a container cannot be joined to a domain. Yeah, so every, domain, yeah. a lot of that stuff you talk about would require uh, a domain environment. Right. Well, And it's normal for me, building IIS boxes for many years, you don't domain join those because they're out in the DMZ. Yeah. Like they're, yeah. they're not, they shouldn't okay. have those privileges, right? So that's fine. Yeah. But so more and more as we look at these early incarnations of what Windows containers look like, it's like this was built for web servers. Mm. It's not yeah. really built for running everything. Like, no. Wouldn't and it be great to run a container for an AD infrastructure? They put are. an IT hat on right now. Because <laughs> yeah, sure. yeah. I already run core for AD all the yeah, time. Absolutely. Because right? it's a small, you know, Active Directory is a file-based database. There's no yeah. voodoo to right. what's going on in Active Directory. Yeah. So you it's want simple. as small a footprint as you want, and you want multiple copies so that any one of them can crap out and there's a backup. There's right. somebody else out there to do the work. Mm. Right? Yeah. That's all an AD is. But the fact that I can't, you kind of need the machine that's running the AD service to be the main joint. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> kind of a absolutely. requirement. Well, <laughs> they are looking into that. Yes. So in future releases, we may see support to join containers to a domain. Right. But at the moment, it's not possible yet. Okay. Mm. So all of the stuff that requires domain controls, like uh, also yeah, clustering and maybe load balancing for service accounts that are domain accounts, that is not going to work yet at the moment. So I see the benefit to containers being able to control micro, a microservices architecture by you know, decomposing it into lots of containers yes. and being able to apply the resources where they need to be applied. It's sort of like doing what Service Fabric does, but manually. But that creates a management problem, right? Like one of the things, 
that Microsoft did a really great job on when Hyper-V finally took off was System Center Virtual Machine Manager. Yep. Right? True. Which Expensive. Not free. Definitely not free. But when, you, when you've got a bunch of servers with hundreds of VMs, the fact that this tool went out, cataloged them all, mm-hmm. you made a transport between them very simple, like mm-hmm. it made a, and that was VMs. How many containers are we going to make? Yeah. You know, how quickly yeah. is this going to spin out of control that we're going to need management tools? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the kind of stuff that Service Fabric does really, really well. Well, sort of eliminates that. You yeah. Know, in some ways, shifts the responsibility off of you. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, we're going to need this tooling. Yeah, absolutely. But for the containers, well, at the moment, um, from the Windows point of view, you have PowerShell to manage everything. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's still pretty local. Now, uh, per host, you can create containers and right. start them up and mm-hmm. so on. Uh, but Microsoft is also working closely with Docker. Uh, right. And they have the partnership with Docker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they and have so, Swarm. Yep. Yeah. And so that is yeah. the other approach you have. So And that already works at the moment. So uh, Docker can be used to build and create and manage uh, Windows Server containers as nice. well. That's great. And so all that stuff like uh, Docker Hub, where you can then, you create your container images, you publish them in Docker Hub, and then from there, mm. on other hosts, other environments, right. you could also have your container spin up. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And indeed, Docker Swarm, all that stuff too. Yeah. yeah. They're all tools that are just going to work. Now, those yeah. tools run in the cloud, or can I run them on-prem? Yeah, you can have a private, like a private Docker Hub, uh, or public, uh, you can choose. Now, do those things run on Windows, or do they only run on Linux? Well, that's a good question. They uh-huh. do run on Windows right. as well. So you can install Docker management tools on Windows if you want to. Yeah. You do have to install them because they do not they are not out of the box available on the Windows operating right. system. So but there is an entire procedure to install the Docker management tool for Windows containers. And I wonder how so I've done a bunch of WordPress work, right? Mm-hmm. Because daughter with WebCon, yeah, right? right? Sure. And so, but I don't, and I've run Linux servers in the past, but when it came to setting this stuff up, it's like, I'm just going to set up WordPress on Windows. What's the big deal? Yeah. Turns out. It's kind of a big deal. <laughs> well, all of the documentation presumes you're running on Linux, right? Yeah, okay. Like, I wonder, as we go down this path with these Docker tools, most of, it's just like being a VB.net programmer. Yeah. You go looking for a sample, you get a C-sharp sample, right? right? When yeah, we go looking okay. for documentation for these Docker tools, we're going to find Linux examples. Right. And it's going to be a challenge. Yeah. It's also an opportunity. Like sure. Part of me keeps thinking, I need to sit down and write the definitive set of blog posts on running WordPress on Windows. Because <laughs> I've definitely made it work. And I wonder but, how and many Linux people are listening to this and saying, why would you even want containers <laughs> in Windows? Yeah, right? Why would you do that, right? <laughs> why would you well, just use Docker in yeah. Linux? Yeah. Maybe, but then they can use sense. Docker on Windows as right. well. Yeah. Sure. I think the idea is because they really do have a tight partnership. So yeah. I think the idea will be that in the end it doesn't really matter where mm-hmm. your management tool right. is. And you can just manage Linux containers, Windows containers. The mm. only thing that will matter is a Windows container has to run on a Windows operating system. Right. But the management tool, who cares? I got to imagine that ASP.NET Core running in a in a container mm-hmm. is going to scream fast. I mean, they've already got the request per second up to like 1.15 million. Right, that's the, what um, Hunter was telling us yeah. in the earlier show, that you know, they were pushing those numbers up. And, and again, I, it's I like, don't know how that, how that performance matches up to the LAMP stack. Right. I don't well, know. I would be curious to look at ASP.NET Core running Windows Native, running Windows 
in a virtual machine or in a container yeah. or running on yeah. Linux What's, in a yeah. container too because that's yeah. the whole point. It's going to run on all of these things. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what's going to be fastest? I'm going to guess true. it's going to be Windows just because it's had the most time there. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the guys are working on it there. They know how to make it work. Mm-hmm. But the different container solution, wouldn't it be interesting, wouldn't right? It be. Yeah. If it ran fast on a Linux-based container. <laughs> Somebody ought to pay us to do some research. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's still so many. I don't want to say we're too early, but we're pretty early. Yeah. But it is going to be the next few months that a bunch yeah. of this stuff is going to ship. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to, you know, faced with, you know, trying to make these choices around what all this looks like. I'm most excited about the container workflow. Right. Excited and anticipating it. Yes. Like, you know, really, we really want to know what that's going to look like. Yeah. Because we haven't seen that yet. Well, it's just. Think about when you're trying to build a dev environment with all the pieces, yeah. right? And you kind of make this Frankenstein machine out of your, your computer. <laughs> yeah, so like, you just want to copy it. You yeah. just want to clone that. You, so the idea that I would run Elasticsearch in its own container and run an instance of SQL Server Express in its own container and so forth so that I don't have to call to ex- outside services. I am self-contained still. Like I could actually develop on a laptop yep. but still have all the separate components as if yep. I'm in the production environment. You know, the production SQL Server won't be the same container shape, but that's yeah. okay because my calling interface is still consistent and the, the, and the implementation of SQL is the same yeah. with the data set smaller. I wonder how far, and this is a total tangent here, I wonder how far away we are from getting um, real app virtualization in, in Windows Desktop. And I know you talk about this stuff in Run As, but yeah. it's not easy and, no. it, and it's... Kind of slow. Right? Well, and, and generally sucky. Right? Generally it is, sucky, a, yeah. it is such a ha- ham-fisted approach to the way your internal computers work to make App V yeah. real. Yeah. So you, I mean, and what you're, I think what you're getting at is this: containers introduce a declarative model for how to run software on a system. Correct. In a can where it's like, if I go outside of this, kill me. Right. Right. So it's very yeah. safe. It just doesn't have any UI. Not at this point, anyway. Right? Well, and you know the classic example is you know the browser, right? And right. malware. You know, to be able to run a browser in a in a VM, let's yep. say, and to have that level of protection, so if it messes up my VM, I don't care. Yep. Yeah, I, mean, I don't want to trust the browser sandbox anymore. I want to put it in my own sandbox, That's right? Mm-hmm. Right, With, where I can see sandbox. it has an operating system, so it feels like. You know, when it goes to make changes, it makes changes only to itself, not to the underlying operating system. If it's making too much noise, I'm just going to kill it. <laughs> kill it anyway, right? Just regular <laughs> punts. Like, oh. well, it's and, it's but, like a diaper. After a while, it needs to be changed. <laughs> we shouldn't have called them containers. We should have called them diapers. Who, what was wrong with us? .NET diapers. .NET diapers. Here they come. <laughs> oh, man. So what are your folks doing with this now? I mean, it's still CTP. It's not for production. Yet, are you starting to experiment with scaling websites? Have you tried like building many instances of things and balancing them, or is it just just the first runs? Yeah, just the first run. Early I'm building days. the containers and uh, yeah. But they just, really exist. They actually work. Yeah, they do work. They yeah. do work. Yeah. Mm. You say and .NET runs on them. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. .NET, IIS, uh, lots of applications. Uh, Apache can be installed. Sure. Hadoop. Mm. Is there any way for you to tell? From the inside that you're running in a container? From the inside? Yeah. Like, it's actually fair. There are ways when I'm writing code to tell I'm in a VM. 
right? Like there's, I know there's certain kinds of drivers and things. Like if you see that stuff, it's like, I'm living in a VM, right? Yeah, okay. I'm yeah, a virtualized world. Well, a container is also a virtualized world, right. so. So presumably yeah, those same views. That kind of stuff, yeah. Now you do have, in Windows, you do have two types of containers. I know. We yeah. haven't talked, I'm, I'm yeah, aware of it, we have not talked about it, so no. let's go into this, because I think yeah. it's really important. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because we have the normal Windows containers, yeah. and then we have the Hyper-V containers. Right. Oh. Big difference between them. All right. Uh, so I imagine <laughs> the Hyper-V containers, uh, no, I can't, I can't <laughs> guess, I have no idea. I, my first thought would be slower, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Slower, yeah. bigger and slower, but then again, I don't know. A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. Not the same as normal VMs, but uh, they do have their own VM. Mm. Per container. Got it. So in it a Hyper-V In the Hyper-V VMs. Container. Yeah, a Hyper-V container, sorry. It's a Hyper-V virtual machine right. with a container in it. But uh, only one? Yes. Okay. One container. Which kind of, in some ways, defeats the purpose, right? I and mean, one of the right. things I like is that in a given instance of a machine, I could have a bunch of containers. Yeah, that's true. So but why they could would I still be this? running on the same host. So you have the same host. Right. The same host could be running multiple VMs running Hyper-V containers. Yes. One to one. Okay. One to one. Yeah. So more and overhead. Well, there are, yeah, that is true. That is the downside, more yes. overhead. But uh, What's the upside, the upside <laughs> one, isolation. Yes. You have real isolation, which is necessary sometimes, like in multi tenancy environments. That implies that you don't have isolation with containers. Well, you don't have isolation in this way that you share the operating system. Right. Yeah. So if you run a container on the OS, a normal container, yep. you look at a process that you have not modified. It is the same process as on the host and as all the other containers are using. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. the, only the moment you start modifying stuff, then those processes or files or whatever get copied in your sandbox for your container. Okay. But as long as you don't touch anything, you share that one process, for example, from the host operating system. Mm. So as opposed to a traditional VM where you make a copy of everything and run it independently all of the time, one of the ways the container stays smaller is that it's always sharing the process until it's different, and yes. then it makes a copy. Yes, mm. indeed. That's okay. for the normal containers. Right. And then the Hyper-V containers, since every container you build gets its own VM, right. they don't share the actual mm. operating system processes from the host. They have their real own copy of that process. So we don't know of a specific security exploit that would require a Hyper-V container at this point. No. When the, the but that's what we're really talking about is, yeah. if, is there some yeah. way for one container in the traditional Windows container model or the tra traditional, and this is a conversation that goes on in the Linux world too, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Is there a way for a container to somehow do something to an underlying operating system that would affect yeah, the other all containers? The others. Yes. And mm. there's lots of arguments. I mean, this is the same barrier when you talk about VMs that exists at the BIOS level, right? Theoretically, it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yes, it just hasn't happened. And yeah. in anticipation of that possibility, here is this more expensive tool resource-wise that you have some concerns about that container. Like, it's not your container. You didn't make it. It's a third-party container you are somehow suspicious of. It yes. lives in a stiffer can. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. That's what they are there for. If you cannot trust all the applications you install, yeah. then a Hyper-V container is option, an alternative. Yeah. At, at least for a while. Where, yes. I mean, if they're your containers, you built the software, you know, you're probably pretty comfortable with they can live yeah, together. Yeah, but when, it, when it's coming from the outside, then maybe you're a little more suspicious. Yeah, absolutely. You, you want to try and decide this. But that being said, like, 
I'm kind of stunned that at a black hat somewhere, someone hasn't shown the ability to affect between containers. Maybe they have. After all these years. I'm, dude, I read the stuff, I'm yeah. telling you. Yeah. Like, I have, because it'll make the news. Like, that will be big when someone can come up with a cross-container exploit. Mm. That will be huge. Mm. But it hasn't happened. Hasn't and you think, because it's sort of intrinsically reliable. It's the same way that it's incredibly hard to, to try and affect one VM from another. Through yeah. the through the the hypervisor, yeah. right? that's just not an easy thing to pull off. No, nope. not saying it couldn't be done, it hasn't, and we're already trying to anticipate ways to avoid it happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's true. Now, another thing that uh, where the Hyper-V containers could be useful is if you uh, have different operating systems, because for the moment the containers are, if you build a container on the Windows Server Core, right? Uh, it's a Windows container. It's, yeah, and it, but it's Windows Server Core, right. you know? And I cannot, uh, they need to have, if you build your own container on top of that, you need to have the Windows Server Core operating system. And right. they need to have the same patch level even. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. In Hyper-V containers, that's not a requirement. Oh, interesting. Because they have their own VM. Because as soon as you need the same patch level, that means, so how do I upgrade? <laughs> yeah, you have to upgrade your containers if you upgrade your host. Oh, yeah. No. In what order? Upgrade the host, then upgrade the then rebuild. So shut yeah, down all okay. the containers on that given host. Upgrade the host, then rebuild all the containers with the new version yes. of the OS. Yes, indeed. So and also the OS image, it's, it's also container yeah, all image. Yeah, those OS images um, have to be updated. Yeah, they all need to be in the that's same gonna, level. That's going to be a fun little ripple. Yeah. Trying yeah. to get all that yes, done. indeed, indeed. Yeah. So with Hyper V containers, you don't have that issue. Right, because they're separate. Matter. Yeah, You're maintaining separate copies. Yeah. So in that respect, so that's another a little um, advantage, maybe. And yeah. how close is the performance? Because we all know what spinning up a VM is. I mean, yeah, you have no, that it's not like that. No? no, no, it's a lot faster. So it will be a bit slower than a normal container. Okay. Uh, but it's still, you know, like a, a specialized VM. Uh, I you see. can call it that. That will still be very fast in spinning up. It only takes a few seconds as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. If I, I had a container built with uh, IIS in it, Hyper-V, it takes a few seconds to start it. Nice. Yeah. So it is definitely a lot faster than a normal VM. It will yeah. be a little slower than a, a normal container. Than, window than a Windows container. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it is quicker, but it yeah. still has some issues. Yeah. And then you can always switch between the two, too. Right. So you could build an image as a developer. Maybe you've created a container image on a normal Windows container. Right. Yeah. And then later, IT Pro decides, we don't trust this, so I want to Shove spin it, it to up a as a Hyper-V container. You can do that. I'll, I'll, okay, let me walk through another scenario. This is a little IT-ish as well, but it's like major exploit has been found in the, in the underlying OS. We're concerned about our host machines. They need to be immediately upgraded. But we don't know. It's going to take us time to upgrade all the images for all our containers, and we need to test all the software. So we flip all those containers over to Hyper-V so they don't have to change for now. So we can upgrade our host machines and, and deal with the vulnerability right away. And now we can go through and the testing later, and ultimately no. get back to the Windows container model because it is more resource efficient. Yes. But it is at creation time that you choose the runtime mode. Yeah. So when you create the container, but the images, the images don't matter. No. Don't. So the image is created for some type. And then when you create a container based on the image, then you right. choose... But OS so upgrades can have impact on software, so you do want to do testing when the OS yeah. gets upgraded. Yeah, mm. yeah absolutely. Okay. It can have an impact. No, you can see the pattern on how we're going to work on this, and these two do complement each other. What we really need is yeah. some case studies uh, or just uh, some anecdotal uh, More stories apps in the field. from listeners. Uh, you know, who yeah. But here we are still in the beta. You know? yeah, yeah. In theory, yeah. there's no Go Live so. license for this stuff yet either. So. Mm. 
You're not supposed to put it in the field. You're breaking the rules if you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting to start thinking in these terms. Yeah, this absolutely. is what the, our apps could look like, and we're going to care about management, and we might be making these migrations as we do upgrades. Like That's exciting to me. It's just to start getting all yeah. that in my head about what I'm going to need to do when I actually have the bits in front of me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. But I also feel like, oh, I bet you a ton of this gets really automated for us, too. Wizards in studio, mm -hmm. you know, that kind of thing. It's going to be pretty painless. Hopefully. I'm, I'm excited, Elsa. I think yeah, it's cool. I'm very yeah. excited. Yeah, it is. It is cool. And for all the Linux people, they already know all that stuff. Yeah, it's like and so now, I don't know enough. if they're going to like it on Windows, but still. Yeah, we'll see what it's like. It is there. So what's next for you, Elsa? Today? Yeah, or after, after Techorama. After Sekorama, um, create more courses. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, we'll start delivering the Windows Server course. Uh, yeah, end of the month, I think. Nice. What's the most yeah. popular Azure course that you teach? Azure. Um, I do the Azure IT Pro course, so it's just mm -hmm. a basic Azure management, VMs, uh, yeah. SQL Azure, that kind of stuff. And there's a lot to know, isn't there? Yes, and it changes yeah. so fast and so often. Do wow. you find that IT professionals are are interested? getting more interested in yes. Azure? Yeah, absolutely. It's either that or, you know, yeah. go get well, a, a lot of hybrid stuff. Go get see. a line cook job. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that too. <laughs> we have to learn. Yeah. Uh, but no, there is uh, definitely some interest. A lot of hybrid. Yeah, a lot of hybrid. Yeah. I think many people will still have stuff on-prem, but starting to look at how Azure could be a benefit, uh, not for everything, but for some stuff, absolutely. It's Great. definitely an ongoing conversation on Run As Radio is yeah. always this. You're not going to lose your job. There's right. more to do, yeah, right? Like, yeah. well, this just opens up a larger field of things. The only way you're going to lose your job is when you resist it and they find other ways to get things done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And even in Azure, you can still do a lot of stuff. And since they sure. change everything so often, you always know what to do. Right. Yeah, there's, and there's more to work on. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the yeah. server just gets it's larger. Yeah, we create training material, and uh, next week you have to teach a course. Yeah. Everything has changed again. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So you're starting to work on this container material while you're still in beta, which means yeah. you're going to do a lot of rewrites. Yeah, that too. That too. That's true. Well, yeah. Alice puts us, thank you very much for joining us this hour. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It was my pleasure, too. It was nice to be here. Glad you're here. <laughs> and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a